this oh this was a tough one oh my uh, goodness it was i was just reading it so not too much, long ago and i was like uh oh <laughs> so much stuff but yeah I, but it's a tough one but a very interesting one i i find all the little nuances just yeah yeah Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. Today we are doing what we do every week, reading God's Word. We're using a three-year Bible reading plan through Messiah Lutheran Church, and my name is Alex. I get to be a pastor at Messiah, and we believe that eternities are changed when Jesus followers grow up in their faith and talk about it. So we're going to talk about God's Word, we're going to read it, we're going to have a conversation about it today, and today to help me with that is Kim Fath. Kim, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, there's not much to tell these days. I have been a teacher at Messiah since, just about since uh, my husband and I came. He is a retired pastor from Messiah. And I am retired myself these days, and uh, just do what needs to be done. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're going to do a quick summary of our readings, and our readings are covering uh, the dates of September 26th to October 2nd. And so we're going to focus on 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 16. There's a lot going on here. So I'm going to do my best to give a very brief summary. So basically, David has a lot of sons. He has two sons in particular, Absalom and Amnon, who um, are the main characters in these chapters. And Amnon has uh, feelings, affections for his sister, or I guess half-sister, because it says it's Absalom's sister, Tamar, and um, Amnon basically hatches a plan to get Tamar into a room alone with him, pretending to be ill, and he rapes her, uh, which is really uh, sad and uh, horrifying for her. Uh, she is shamed, um, and this angers Absalom. So Absalom uh, just you know, festers in this anger, and eventually over several, several years, David also hears about the news and gets really angry, several, several years pass, and, um, well, maybe not several, several, but a couple of years pass, and then Absalom hatches a plan with the rest of the sons of David to kill Amnon, to finally get his revenge on the guy who raped his sister. And when this happens, a report gets to David that Absalom has killed all the sons of David, which I don't think was true. I, I tried to read that really carefully, but I don't think that was true. He just killed Amnon. Um, and then, but because of this, David was, was angry against Absalom for killing Amnon and for... I guess the initial news that he thought he had killed other sons as well. And so somehow David's anger against Absalom festers and festers and gets really bad so that Absalom flees the country and hopes one day that he will come back to Jerusalem. Uh, 
then there is a plan that is hatched and um, a woman uh, comes in to David's court pretending to be a widow. And it's kind of like the story of when Nathan, the prophet, comes into David's court and pretends to place before him a, uh, a, a ruling, a decision that David is to make. So this widow says there are these two brothers and they're fighting. One kills the other, but I kind of want the one that killed the other brother to stay alive. What should I do? Can you promise me that you'll keep him safe? And David says, of course. And she says, turns it around on him and says, I gotcha. Um, you aren't even doing this for your own family. You're going after your son Absalom. Um, why aren't you showing mercy to him? And, and a big part of this is also that Absalom and Amnon were likely the two uh, brothers, the two older brothers in line for the throne of David. So David uh, has this falling out with Absalom. Eventually, Absalom makes it back into Jerusalem, but he lives in a totally different palace or house for two years, then finally makes it into the presence of the king. Um, what Absalom eventually does is he uh, rallies the people and conspires against David. David is running out of Jerusalem, and that is basically where we end the story. Um, he, Absalom has taken over David's palace and David is, um, a refugee now. So that is an overview of what's going on here. There's a lot of different things happening, a lot of characters in the story. Uh, so Kim, what stood out in particular to you when you were reading these chapters? Oh, lots of stuff. But, uh, one thing that stood out was after killing the crown prince, Amnon, Absalom just assumes he should be the next in line yeah. to the throne. But there is actually another older brother, second in line, okay. Kiliab, son, hmm. son of Abigail. Uh, don't know about him. Uh, don't know what happened to him and why he wouldn't have been next. But that's interesting. And then uh, the, whole, uh, the whole process of uh, Jonadab, who is David's nephew, he evidently pretends to be counsel to Amnon and yeah. counsels him about Tamar. And then later he's right there next to David when the, the plot of, or the, the news that all the king's sons had been killed. It, he says, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. Um, it's only Amnon. I know he's the only one that was killed because Absalom hated him for what he did to his sister. So mm -hmm. he knows about both. He's counseled both evidently in close contact with the king. And I'm thinking, hmm, nice family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, just a little bit dysfunctional. Yeah, no just a little bit. <laughs> it's just a little bit. So I just thought that was all interesting. Yeah, um, something that I found to be uh, that stood out to me as well to be interesting as well was just that um, so many years go by actually um, from the time that uh, Amnon uh, rapes uh, his 
I guess, half-sister Tamar or, or Absalom's sister mm-hmm. Tamar. Mm-hmm. And so many years go by and he just, Absalom just is so mad and he's just waiting and waiting for the right moment. And I mean, I don't yeah, know. I don't know what to think about that because I'm, I'm thinking like if I were in that situation and that time and place and that culture, when that was a like, revenge was kind of just fighting was more of an everyday way of life an everyday thing yeah two years waiting two years holy cow man i mean this guy and think how much yeah think how how much absalom's anger festered during that time yeah well and, and what's interesting to me too is that david gets so angry at absalom and it's like Okay, you know, he killed your your son. Um, you know, he killed your son, Amnon, but you were also angry when you heard the news that um, what Amnon did to Tamar. David was angry about that as well, but then he's angry at Absalom. And I don't know, it was just... It, it almost took me back at how angry David became toward Absalom, especially with the things that that David had done in his life. Uh, David right. had murdered Uriah uh, the Hittite. Um, he had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to be with Bathsheba and and all these things. And and it, it just surprised me how how angry David was. And then even when Absalom came back to Jerusalem, finally he he didn't see the king or was in his presence at all for two years. And it was wild. I I just found that uh, crazy. But um, at the same time, it it is hard when, when things like that happen, you know, I guess it's a snowball effect and you can really uh remain in your anger. Well, Absalom had killed David's crown prince. Yeah. I yeah, mean, he true. was probably expecting Amnon to take over. And yeah. so, but on the other hand, David loves Absalom so much that later he, he says, oh, don't hurt my boy Absalom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty dysfunctional. Yeah, it is. Um we know that later in the story, um, this doesn't happen yet in these chapters, so spoiler spoiler alert, um, Absalom does die, um, and David mourns over Absalom, like you said, and th- that just goes to show, like, you know, even though uh, we may experience dysfunction in our lives, there we still love people. You know, I, I think of situations right. where, like, just even in real life where like a family member has done something just that's really bad or really leaves a mark on the family or a father and a son have a falling Mm -hmm. out or something, you know, and then like the character in the TV show or whatever, or the documentary says, you know, but he's still my dad, you know, he's still my son, you know? Um, And so there is kind of this interesting bond that doesn't go away that I think God designed us with that is hard to uh, break even with the power of sin uh, even with the power of a lot of sin you know it's, it, it kind of shows that 
that God working in the world to kind of still orchestrate and keep those bonds somehow together, even in the mess that we make of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, anything that was confusing or uh, concerning for you in particular uh, during this uh, section of scripture? Well, one we already touched on was the dysfunction within the royal family. David was really ignorant about the goings-ons, the goings-on of his children. And apparent lack of connection or wisdom in dealing with them. Um, I assume each one lived in its, in his own house. And so uh, they, they were a family, but separated somewhat. Um, something else that is concerning to me was the treatment of the women in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tamar, you know, being rejected after all that Amnon did to her. And then uh, basically she can't marry anyone else and has to live as a, as a widow the rest of her life in the house of her brother. Um, and also the 10 concubines that mm-hmm. come yeah. later in the story. They were left to care for the house of David when he uh, escaped Jerusalem. And uh, yeah, the result of that comes later in other chapters. But right. that was, I'm like, wow. Well, they I, didn't have much of a choice, did they? Yeah, well, I read a note, too, that said, you know, um, well, there was the guy, Hushai, who greeted and convinced Absalom later in chapter 16 that he is loyal right. to Absalom, even though that's not true. He's kind of like this little spy that David sent in right. there. Uh, but, you know, it talks about the concubines as well and how Absalom, uh, you know, has intercourse with his father's concubines as a testimony to everyone that he is making a claim to David's throne. To the throne. To the throne. And so, you know, first of all, the messed up part to begin with is that that people are seeing these women as as property, as objects rather than human beings and and women created in the image of God. That's the first, you know, thing that's totally out of out of line, out of whack. Um, totally messed up. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, in order to stake his claim on the throne, Absalom has to somehow, you know, have some kind of sexual encounter with them. And so it's just, it's a very, me- this is a very messy story. Actually, I thought the story of David and Bathsheba, we often think of that one as like, oh, David, he's horrible, you know. But this one yeah. has a lot of um, a lot of sin, a lot of like going back and forth. Like David did this. He abandons his family. He abandons these these women and just leaves them, you know, helpless and knows that they're probably going to get raped. And oh, gosh, it was. Yeah, it, it, that that to me is concerning. Um, and it's also concerning that David didn't. It's another instance, and um, I think, I don't know when that happens. It's wherever the widow comes, to, or the lady pretending to be the widow. 
oh, yeah. comes to him pretending to be a widow. And the interesting thing is that, like, you know, David still has, you know, he still has his morality. He still has his, uh, he still leads with his customs because one of the most important things was to have special care for the widows of the land. And so that's why they're dressing this lady up like a, as a widow. That's why she's posing as a widow, to catch David's attention so it's not just dismissed. And so she presents this story to, to her, and, and it's a huge parallel uh, of the story of, of, of the way Nathan the prophet presents the, the story or the, the, what we know as a parable of the rich man stealing the poor man's sheep to expose his sin with Bathsheba. And this widow uses this other parable about these two brothers fighting each other to expose David's um, lack of care. And really, it's David's responsibility as the parent, not just as the king, but as the parent, to be enacting justice on and sorting out his family. But he, he is very distant, as you said. So that was pretty concerning. And this actually... Um, this is a very different way of telling the life of David than Chronicles. Chronicles puts a yes. good spin on everything, and, and not in a bad way. It just highlights uh, God's faithfulness and working through David and God's faithfulness throughout David's life. Um, this is something that I think we can look at and realize, wow, you know, the people in the Bible, the Bible does not hold back people in the Bible, no. especially King David, who's supposed to be this, I guess, type of, of, of Jesus, who's supposed to point us to, to the King, uh, Jesus, is um, full of sin and, um, and really concerning things going on here. Um, yeah, anything else that you wanted to uh, mention or that you found uh, interesting? Well... Um, when David and, and Absalom were separated, um, uh, Absalom kind of gathered all kinds of people to himself. And one of them was David's trusted advisor, Ahithophel. Yeah. And I was looking at that oh, yes. and saw a note. That was concerning. He used to, he was actually Bathsheba's grandfather. Ooh. And so there was speculation that, you know, he was still harboring uh, ah. feelings about that. And, and now that Bathsheba was David's wife, you know, that may have caused some bad blood between them. But uh, for David himself, for Ahithophel to leave him and go support the other side, so to speak, support Absalom, what a heartbreak that must have been. Yeah. You know, he used to be in his inner circle and then kind of betrays him. Yeah. No, it, that, yeah, that's interesting. Another thing that I found concerning was that um, the Council of Ahithophel was considered to be equal to the Word of God. Um, yes. And so... It, not just for Absalom, but also for David. And so it's really, this is a kind of a low point in, in the kingdom. 
Um, and it, it kind of goes to show that, you know, even though they had the capital, because we here, uh, I think last time we is when we, or a few times ago is when we talked about, you know, how David was establishing the capital. And that's like his, his, you know, coming of age story. Like he's the king in Hebron and he gets, he, he, he's careful and honorable about how he engages with even Saul's family and Saul's leftover relatives and Mephibosheth and honoring uh, him who was ostracized in society. And, uh, but Mm -hmm. then what David does is he, he gets in the palace. He, he gets the, the kingdom. He starts acting like a king just like all the other nations and he stops he stops identifying himself in the unique way that God wants him to um and um yeah it j- this is a this is a low point for him so there's actually a lot more concerning about these chapters than I think I usually have when I uh read a section of scripture so let's talk about the things that give us hope um, what do you see as hopeful in these passages? Well, I had to think a long time about that. Yeah. Um, trying to find that hope. But going back to chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, David says, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back again and let me see it in his dwelling place. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. So this is saying to me, um, David is still a man after God's heart. He shows, he still acknowledges that God's will remains supreme. Even if David himself sins, he knows God's will will be done, even in the difficult circumstances. And he acknowledges, basically, he's acknowledging his part in that, his sin. Yeah, yep. yeah definitely. So he, he's, he's led to uh, a place of repentance, especially after all of this uh, mess. One thing mm-hmm. I found uh, kind of hopeful, it's a bit of a stretch but it reminded me of Jesus, which is always good to point to Jesus from the Old Testament. Um, it's in chapter 15, verse 30. This just reminded me of Jesus. It's not necessarily a passage that directly points us to him. They uh-huh. said, but David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And that just kind of gave me Mm -hmm. some imagery of Jesus's crucifixion. So Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives with his disciples and David is with his people. Um, He's sorrowful and eventually uh, Jesus becomes uh, barefoot, as it says here, um, and with his head covered in a different way uh, with a crown of thorns. So that, that imagery kind of brought me forward to uh, the future and how interesting it is that, you know, a place like the Mount of Olives, like when Jesus was in the Mount of Olives and it said, I think in the Gospels, that him and the disciples would go there fairly often when they were around Jerusalem and uh, they, you know, would sing hymns and sing songs together. And that was a historic landmark uh, for God's people. 
um, because that's where you know David rode. The you know they they probably were thinking this is the ground that David rode. And then if you go to Jerusalem or the Holy Land today, you think this is the ground that Jesus walked. Um, yes. But um, it kind of that imagery of the Mount of Olives. Um, it pointed me to to Jesus um, and his his uh, being with his disciples, and also the barefoot and his head covered uh, to his journey to the cross with the crown of thorns. So uh, David uh, is definitely forgiven by Jesus. Jesus comes from the line of David uh, through Solomon, and that was something that was surprising to me. I didn't even realize that Solomon was not actually the heir to the throne officially. Um, but that's often what seems to happen is that God picks people like David and then like Solomon and like Jacob and the least of these and uh, uses them for his glory, uh, even in a messy story like these chapters here. Exactly. And... Um... Yes, God will work his plans no matter what the plans of the people are. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All Six right. Weeks. Oh, go ahead. I know. I was just going to say he picks weak things to show weak his things. strength. Yes, exactly. Or weak people. Yeah, weak people. And it's interesting that not only does he pick weak people to show his strength, but he also came looking weak you know uh there's a mm -hmm. really humble advanced mm -hmm. theological term for that i don't remember what it was but i was supposed to learn it in systematics in seminary a long time <laughs> ago but it's basically uh kind of means the anti-use so jesus you know didn't you know pop out into the world as a super baby that could lift everything right. and you know uh, you know, fly up and to the sky and all this stuff. And he grew up as an ordinary human being. And uh, he, he, he experienced the weakness of the human body, yet lived perfectly. And that was his act of humility. And, right. um, and it's interesting that God, that's the way that God decides to work. I think that often reminds us that he can work through anyone and anything. And like you said, uh, no matter what, he will accomplish his plans. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, uh, that's a great stopping point. Uh, we will end right there and have a short break. And uh, then we'll be back with some application and a random question, as always. <laughs> Welcome back from our break. Uh, we ended with a great uh, gospel message uh, given in a tag team kind of way. Uh, by the body of Christ. Thanks, Kim, for talking with me today. The one big question that we like to ask at the end of the show, uh, before the other question that we ask at the end of the show, is an application question. So how do you see this section of Scripture having importance 
to our lives as Christians today? Well, we sort of already touched on it, but even more so, I think it says no matter who you are or what you've done, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, for good or bad, God is still in control. And he still loves us, and he will always be with us. Amen. I don't think I have anything really to add to that. Uh, Kim, I'm really appreciative of your willingness and boldness to talk with me, uh, to grow up in the faith and talking about God's Word, even the tough stuff today. So let's talk about something that isn't so tough or might be tough to answer but isn't so heavy of a subject. We will end with our random question. And my random question for you is this, Kim. Uh, when I talked with your husband, Rick, we talked about how a lot of the story of David's life could be like a TV show. And there are a lot of TV shows out there. I'm sure you've seen a lot of TV shows in your, your life. And I watch a lot of TV. I'm wondering if you could be a part of any family, any television family, or be in any television world, what would that be? Mm. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. Because I don't really watch TV. Um, I mischaracterized you. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Oh, goodness. Uh, do you read? I do. Okay. All right. Okay, so change it to reading. All right. So instead of TV family or TV world, uh, what's a world or, um, yeah, a setting that you've read and books and, 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 and stories and, and things like that that you would uh, really want to be a part of? There's a series of books I read a long time ago by Jeanette Oak. Uh, and it's about a family who grows up and the, the circumstances of their life point them to God mm. and to trusting in him, even though all these terrible things are happening around them. I think that's the family that I think of for that question. Very nice. Awesome. I am, hmm, I got to think about that for just a little bit. Oh, I, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia are really interesting. Um, Lord of the Rings, really interesting. I I do, I I think Harry Potter would be very interesting as well. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with um, Chronicles of Narnia. I oh, think yeah. it'd be interesting to uh, be in a world with a lot of talking animals. And, um, yeah. But Aslan is not a tame lion. <laughs> he is not a tame lion, indeed. So, <laughs> uh, But that would be really cool, I think, to experience, especially um, opening up a closet and finding a world behind it. So, um, That would be. Yeah. 
So, Kim, thanks for exploring with me the world of God's Word, and it is the real world. It is reality and the truth behind it. I'm talking about that. Listener, if you have any questions or comments or feedback, you can send those to growupandtalk at gmail, or actually, growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com, and we will talk with you next time.